everyone! Before we start, I wanted to let you know, if you would like to watch our whole service, head to our website, that's dc2.me, and from the media drop-down, click Sermons. You can watch our whole service there. And now, here's this week's sermon. All right, let's, uh, let's go ahead and take a seat. Hey, just uh, a few groups of people I want to chat to. Those of you in the barn, those of you who are gathered in person in our building, uh, it has just been such a treat since Easter to walk out. I know it's the same with our band and worship leaders too, and see what we're going to get. Uh, because every week it's more people as, as the state and our city requirements begin to roll back as people are getting vaccinated. So uh, it's just a real treat to worship with you in person. Those of you in the front range online, that you're still tuning in through a screen, maybe in your home, uh, you are as much the body of Christ as the people in this room. And particularly those of you who uh, have every intention of coming and gathering when you're ready, we are ready for you. We're looking forward to seeing you again. Some of the best things here in this building since Easter have been kind of these glorious reunions of people that haven't seen each other in sometimes a year. And those of you who have discovered this church and you're not in the front range, but you're tuning in on a regular basis, maybe you have some kind of connection to Discovery. I know for many of you, when you lived in Colorado, this was your home church and it's been a wonderful reconnection. I've heard from many of you, but also some of you have relatives at this church and some of you have just discovered and joined in. We want you to know as well, wherever you are in this country or around the world, you are as much a part of the body of Christ as those of us right here in this zip code. So we welcome you and we are actively continuing to learn and grow in how to help you connect profoundly uh, to this church community. Because I'll just say, as a big fan of this church, uh, it's a fantastic community to connect with. And one of the things I wanted to let you know, I know for almost all of you are aware of this, but maybe you've been sleeping under a rock, or maybe your church attendance is best known as scattered. Uh, about six weeks ago, I announced that this would be the last year that I'll be the lead pastor of this church. And again, I'm sure pretty much everybody or almost everybody knows that by now. But I thought it would be neat just to catch you up on an update of what's going on, because uh, our elders and Lisa and I, my wife and I, we've been discerning this process for a while. So our elders have no one for a while, and so when we announced this in late March, that really activated a public phase where our elders then really kicked into gear and began um, posting online for a next lead pastor and uh, inviting uh, applicants. And so Cody Gratney and Alina Rich are two of our elders. Cody's sitting right here, right now, just in front of me. They are running a search team who are helping us through the initial phases of the search. And the search team is Cody and Alina, and several congregation members just like you. At the same time, John Neal, one of our other elders, launched a prayer team made up of congregation members just like you, who are praying for you, praying for the church, praying for the search process, praying for Lisa and I, and all of our candidates. One of the unique things that we do anytime we're looking for a staff member is we commit to pray for every candidate who applies as long as they're in the process with us. And we've learned through our last couple of searches that's a lot of prayer. So we've, we've gone ahead and put a prayer team together so we can discreetly pray for candidates. We don't share names, we just share initials and things. So basically we had a number of people apply. The search team made up of the congregants have spent a lot of time looking at materials. Every app, I'll just tell you guys, every applicant, we actually asked them for quite a lot up front 
because we've found that if they send us a video of them just chatting with us off the cuff, as well as sermon samples, as well as written answers to certain particular questions, we really get to know them by looking at that. So we ask for a lot of information up front. That means that our search team has put in a lot of time looking at candidates, really praying through, looking for fit. We've got uh, a lens that we're measuring these candidates through. I also wanted to mention that we do have a third-party consultant who's guiding us every step of the way. His name is Jeff, and uh, you'll probably never meet him, but he's available to our elders and our search team, and he's both been in churches through this transition and led churches through this transition. So I really think that we're in great hands with these people. So our search team uh, filtered through a lot of our initial candidates, and then now we're kind of in phase two, and that's where I get a bit more involved for a while, where I'm now on the phone to some of the candidates that got through phase one. And so yesterday I spent a few hours on the phone with some candidates. Today I'll be spending a few hours, and I'll probably wrap up my side of that in the next couple of weeks. And then phase three is when the elders really dig in deeper and then phase four, which is later, we're not sure when, we're not, we don't have a particular schedule. We're just kind of letting the Lord lead as it naturally unfolds. Uh, phase four is, you know, we'll probably have uh, people go out and visit them, them come and visit us. And so, you know, as, as I'm not preaching and as others are preaching, it's way too early for you to be like, is that a candidate? No, I'll just tell you now. If, if it's, on, it's just someone on our preaching team right now. Uh, the actual getting down to that final phase will be a lot later. But listen, I just want you to hear from me. I'm really excited for what's next for Discovery. Uh, It's not my intention to go anywhere. I I think once we hand over, I'll be here in a part-time role. Uh, And as we shared in detail before, uh, God's really opened doors for me uh, full-time. But I'm really excited about where Discovery's going. And the simple fact is, when I came, Discovery was already five and a half years of age, And a couple of things I want to say, I followed a really good leader. Uh, I got to step into a really amazing church that was already existing. In fact, I would say the number one reason that Lisa and I chose Discovery was the people we met here. Uh, It it was the people. As we got to know the key leaders and the people, we're like, who wouldn't want to pastor these people? This is an amazing place. And one of the things that we are letting candidates know is that the number one best thing we have about our church is the people. I just want you to know whether you're in the room, watching in Colorado or around the country, you are the body of Christ. Uh, Discovery has never been a personality-driven church, and you are what makes this an amazing place. So for those of you who are already pouring out time and, and serving and giving generously, I just want to thank you because you are the reason this is such an incredible church. But also, for those of you who maybe have taken your foot off the gas in the last year, like you've stepped out. And of course, serving over this last year has been massively challenging. Uh, Maybe those of you who financially stepped away or or those of you who are newer and you're really wondering, is this a church where I'm needed? I want you to know that transition is actually an amazing time to step in, roll up your sleeves and really be part of what makes this a great church. Uh, I've also shared that um, I'm excited about what God's got for me, and I've also been quite afraid uh, as I'm stepping off, stepping out in faith. And since in that last six weeks since I announced, I just want you to know the Lord has had me on a real faith-stretching journey where I've had to depend by faith on God in ways I have not had to depend on God in a long time. And that's really been good for me. I'm, I'm really grateful. And, and, it's, and I just, in case you're wondering, 
you know, if I've just been kind of cruising through this steady, if Lisa was here, she'd be like, this has been a giant roller coaster in the cuss house where one day Steve's all excited and the next day he's terrified and I never know what mood he's going to be in. That has settled in the last few weeks as I've really seen the hand of God taking care of us. I'll just give one example. Uh, obviously, today is Mother's Day and Australia lives in the future. So yesterday, I Zoomed my mom. Now, that's confusing. You can get an abacus and figure out how that works. But basically, I Zoomed my mother yesterday because for her, yesterday was today. Anyway, Happy Mother's Day. And in the, in the midst of that, we were figuring out when I can come home and visit my family. I, I tried to go home in February, some of you know, and the Australian government canceled the flight. They're still very strict on, on how many people can come in. They just wholesale canceled my flight. So I'm going to try again in September. Haven't seen my parents or my sister and my nieces and, since 2018. Way too long. So I'm trying again in September. So we were chatting last night, hey, we're looking at September. And I woke up this morning to two different texts from two different faith leaders in Perth, my hometown, neither of whom I know, asking me if I'd consider maybe coming out in September to do some work. So it was just like, whoa, this is crazy that we've just gotten talking to my family. I've not told anybody that I'm probably going to try to get home in September and already God's opening up doors uh, to hopefully keep me busy while I'm there. So just wanted you to know I'm very excited and also this last set of sermon series are really encouraging all of us to take a look at, okay, what is our role in this church? How, how, what is God calling me to do? And so uh, we're kicking off a quick two-week series called Sacraments and uh, we're just looking at two of our practices as a church. Next week we'll look at baptism and today we're going to look at communion. So as you walked in, you were given um, what is unfortunately a COVID-sanitized uh, body and blood of Christ. Um, I don't know why, when I get handed one of these, I always think about being on a flight on an airplane. Do you as well? Is that what it makes you think of? Some of you are like, no, but thanks for spoiling communion. Now it does. Um, it just, it's, not, it's not the ideal way to remember the body and bl- blood of Christ, but it's the best way to do it as we roll out of COVID. And so as you came in, you were handed one of these, on the top, of course, is a piece of bread that represents the body of Jesus Christ that was broken for you. And underneath is grape juice that represents the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for you. And one of the things that's unique about Discovery is we receive communion every time we gather. Every time. We're like Catholics that way. Every time we gather, we pause and we remember the Lord. And so what that does is, on the one hand, it becomes this really powerful, regular ritual. Like, those of you who are followers of Christ, and maybe you've been in church for a while, h- how long, on a, on a weekly basis, have you been taking the bread and the cup? For me, it's, it's like 35 years of every Sunday. Just, it's just a regular part of my week. So on the one hand, it's this incredibly moving heritage that we have, on the other hand, when you do it every week, it can lose its power. You can kind of go through the motions. And so what we're going to do is we're actually going to receive communion in the sermon. We're just going to give it a little more time than we usually give. And I just want to read one passage of Scripture that is quite famous. It's one of the more famous communion passages. So I'm going to read it. We'll pull some things out, and then we'll receive communion. So 1 Corinthians 11, 23, and, and following. This is Paul writing to the church in Corinth. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus Christ, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it 
And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, obviously there's more, and we'll read more, but those of you in the room who I can see, uh, hands up if you're familiar with this passage with communion. Yeah, yeah, most of us in the room, those of you watching online, I, I don't know if you can see the hands, most of us in the room are familiar with it. But those of you who maybe are not followers of Christ, you may wonder what communion is all about. What's interesting is we always start in verse 23, but Paul begins his communion conversation in verse 17. Why is it that in the church we skip the verses before 23 and we just get straight to 23? For I receive from the Lord, it's really been, it's a wonderful familiar phrase, for I receive from the Lord what I also passed on to you. Why, why do we start there? Especially when Paul, he starts with the word for, and any time four is in the Bible, you have to say, well, what's it there for? And you go back and look what four is there for. And so what we're going to do is we're going to start back in verse 17. And you're going to notice right away why we never start in verse 17. Here it is. In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there's divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. No doubt, there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. <laughs> so then, when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper you eat, for when you're eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person gets hungry, another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Like, have you ever written an angry email and you're like, I'm not going to send it, but it just helped to get it out? Paul, like, this is Bible. Like, Paul's writing Bible. Like, this is going to be in, this is going to be canonized for all time. And Paul's like, no, it's staying in. It's, it's just an unmitigated rant. And what about this last verse where Paul's like, one of you, one person's hungry, the other one gets drunk. He basically is saying, Go get drunk where I can't see you. If you're going to get drunk, I don't want to see it. Like, if Paul was writing 1 Corinthians in the 21st century, he would literally have installed a breathalyzer at the back doors of the church. He would have taken your keys, and he would have said, I'm going to make sure you're safe to drive before you leave church. This is a church. Listen, anytime, I, I've been saying this for years, anytime you feel like a C-minus follower of Jesus Christ, just read 1 Corinthians. You'll feel so much better about yourself. As a result, one person remains hungry, another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. For I receive from the Lord what I also... Like, that's why we start in verse 23. For I receive from the Lord what I also passed on to you. One of the things I love about communion is you can be in any kind of condition and you're eligible to take it. Like we read, you know, almost like it's liturgical, but Paul just wraps up a pure, unfiltered anger rant and then he's moving in. So let's pick up in, in verse 25. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Therefore, 
whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep, which in Paul is code word. Anyone want to say what he's saying? You're dead. That's why you're dead. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we're judged in this way by the Lord, we're being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Anyone who's hungry should eat something at home, so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And my favorite line in the whole thing. And when I come, I'll give you further instructions. <laughs> the Corinthians are like, Paul, we'll take a pass this time. Like, go to Ephesus, Paul. Just send us more letters. So, this is the communion passage, and actually, I think it's much more powerful before we receive the, the bread and the cup, just to honor that this whole passage has a lot to prepare us for communion. So, obviously, there's the rant up front. Paul would prefer that you're not elbowing your way to the front of the communion line. Uh, Paul is basically talking in that, that rant passage about discrimination. And Paul is saying, how can you discriminate against each other and then take the bread and the cup which is available for everyone who's equal. So Paul, in this case, is specifically talking about financial discrimination, uh, socioeconomic discrimination, rich and poor. But you can extrapolate any kind of discrimination out of this passage and you'd be honoring the text. There is no room for racial discrimination in the church. There's no room for e ethnic discrimination, income discrimination, gender discrimination. And Paul is basically saying if you discriminate while taking this, all you're doing is drinking judgment on yourself. And then he actually, I don't know if you noticed that, he gives a little threat. And if you keep doing that, he says, you're going to die. <laughs> he actually makes it way. he's like, God's going to kill you. He says, this is why some of you are weak and sick and some of you are dead. Now, as you read that passage, you're like, okay, is Paul a health and wealth guy? Is that what's going on? No. Is Paul superstitious? Is that what's going on? No. Paul, as it turns out, has a much more sophisticated, holistic understanding of health and well-being than I think we do. I think we're just actually, in some ways, science and faith are actually starting to catch up with what Paul is indicating, which is if you are socially at odds with people, you will be physically not well. Your social and emotional relationships have physical implications. Now, I don't want to let Paul off the hook here because he is intentionally, specifically saying God will sometimes make you sick if you continue in your toxic behaviors toward other people. Like that, that's, you can't avoid that that's what Paul is saying. And uh, it's a little convoluted, so I'm going to say it quickly and then move through it. Paul's understanding of salvation is one of the reasons to become a follower of Jesus Christ now rather than later is you get the judgment of God over with early. This is a consistent teaching through Paul. If you die and you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, according to Paul and others, you then face the judgment of God after death. You stand before God, God judges you, 
And because you have not accepted Christ, you do not have Christ to mediate you into heaven. That's the teaching of the New Testament. Paul says, become a Christian today. Before you leave the room today, become a follower of Christ, and God will judge you now, but He judges you through the lens and the work of Jesus Christ, so you are found worthy. And so Paul's theology is those who have already been judged, those who are in Christ, God doesn't judge you, now He just disciplines you. He meters out punishments to help you become uh, a more healthy follower of Christ. And what Paul is saying in this passage is the reason to stop discrimination is to get God off your back because God is going to continue to move you into ill health in your life. Pretty wild. You can tell it's why we don't use this passage much in church because it takes some time to camp in. The, the thing that I want to camp on, though, is this idea of eating and drinking in a manner that is unworthy, that, that before you eat and drink, you should examine yourself to make sure that you're not unworthy. Um, now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands for those of you in the room, but, but just consider this. Were you taught that this passage means that you should look at your life, you should examine your behavior, consider your sins, and then once you've done that, you should eat of the bread and drink of the cup so that you do not eat and drink in a manner that's unworthy. If that's the way you were raised, that's probably the most common way that you've raised. If I had to summarize it, it's that you should be introspective, right? And so when I was first a follower of Christ, uh, communion would come around. I knew this passage. I didn't want to drink myself into judgment, so I'd bow my head and say, how is my week? Well, I sinned more than I should have, and I didn't do what I should have done. They're not very great. So then I'm repenting of that. I'm promising to do better next week. Now I'm ready to take the bread and the cup. And then next week, more of the same. More of the same. Also known as every teenager ever. So that was my teenage Christian experience. And then when I went to Bible college, I was taught that that's a complete misinterpretation of this passage. Discovery practice open communion. That means in this church... You do not have to be a follower of Jesus Christ for us to extend the table of welcome to you. You do not have to believe in Jesus for you to take the bread and drink the cup. So long as you are willing to consider the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus and the massive ramifications it has on your life, you're invited to participate with those of us who are believers. We are a long before you believe church. And probably... As people come to Discovery, it's probably one of the top three questions I have faced as a pastor. How can Discovery offer communion to non-believers? And what the person says is they're not, criti- they're not coming in a spirit of criticism when they ask that. They're coming in a spirit of concern. They open to 1 Corinthians for me and they say, look, look, if you have an unbeliever eat and drink without examining themselves, they're eating and drinking judgment on themselves. We shouldn't do that. But when Paul is saying you need to discern the body, he's not asking us to look inside. He's inviting us to look around at each other. Look around. Uh, This passage has nothing to do with introspection. Now, if you practice introspection for communion, that's great. That's a great practice. I'm not saying you should not be introspective. I'm just saying that's not what Paul's telling us to do here. When Paul says, before you drink up... Just discern the body. Paul is saying, is there anybody in the room I've discriminated against? Do I have 
racism in my heart? Are there areas of my life where I am disparaging another sister or brother in Christ? Am I gossiping about somebody? That's what Paul's saying. Paul is saying, am I giving preferential treatment to one group of people and not the welcome table to another group of people? When he's talking about these private suppers, Paul is saying, listen, those of you who are rich, you don't have to work. You get to go to church early and you bring in your filet mignon and then the blue collar workers that knock off work at six or seven and go straight from work to church and haven't eaten, they're getting the, the potato casserole. That's not the way it should be. Everybody should equally have opportunity to all the aspects of the church. And Paul says, if you don't break this discrimination, you are eating and drinking judgment on yourself. Uh, just a couple of things. When you look at this whole idea of introspection, it doesn't even make sense as if we can do anything or be anything to be worthy of receiving the invitation to God. Like, like the whole point of communion is the confession that we will never be worthy. There's nothing that you and I can do to be worthy of the bread and the cup, and there's nothing that you and I can do to be ineligible to be invited. Why does Discovery have open communion? Because in the very first communion, Jesus offered it to Judas, knowing exactly what Judas was going to do. Jesus freely offered it to Peter, and Jesus had already predicted that Peter was going to deny Jesus' very existence, denying Christ and yet welcome at the table. Jesus offered it to Thomas, who after the resurrection basically turned into a CSI. He's like, I want the DNA evidence if I'm going to believe. And Jesus is like the body of Christ broken for you, Thomas, the blood of Christ shed for you, Thomas. And you look at these early churches in the New Testament and you see all of the challenges and all of the problems they got into and all of the corruption, all of the morality, and time and time again, week after week after week, invited to the table. No, Christ died to make us worthy of a relationship with the Father and communion is a reflection on Christ's worth, not our own worthiness to participate. So what we're going to do, if you receive your communion, I'm going to invite you just to take the first part, just the bread, and the first thing we're going to do is discern what Paul asks us to discern, which is the body of Christ on the cross. As you receive the bread, we're just going to give you some silence to reflect on the Jesus' sacrifice for you and what Jesus did for you. This is the body of Christ broken for you. Let's receive it together. Now, before we give you silence, I know for some of you, you just don't know what to do in the time of silence. And, and that's totally fine. So I'm going to put a passage on the screen. You can look at the passage. You don't have to close your eyes or bow your heads. This does not have to be like a solemn occasion. And maybe this passage will help you reflect on the death of Christ. Paul writes, now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. So just in this time of silence, if you're not sure what to think about, you can just let your imagination run a little bit on the idea that God has dragged you in close. God's like a grandmother who hugs you when you don't want to hug when you're a teenager, but she hugs you anyway. He's dragging you in from far away to close because of the blood of Christ. We'll just give you some silence right now.
Jesus using words to thank you for your sacrifice, it just seems so inadequate. We, we have no idea what you suffered, but you willingly suffered, and it was your great joy to die for us. You sacrificed everything so that we could have a right relationship with God. So thank you, Jesus, for emptying yourself. Thank you for paying everything that was required. Thank you that it is only through you and your sacrifice that we can have a friendship with God. Thank you that we no longer have to pay for our own sins. Thank you that you have covered us so we don't have to cover ourselves anymore. And thank you, Lord, for anyone who's listening to this who's not one of your followers, that, that they can become your follower of Christ today. They don't have to jump through hoops. They can just reach out to you and receive this gift that the rest of us have received. Thank you in Jesus. Amen. So, when Paul says to discern the body, one of the things he wants us to discern is the work that Jesus did on the cross. So, every time you receive communion, if you're not sure what to do, you can think on the cross. And one of the reasons we receive communion every week is the simple fact is we go about our day and we get busy and we just don't think about the cross much. And communion is an incredible opportunity to center us back to what matters most in our life. The second thing that uh, Paul invites us to discern is the body of Christ in the church, and I've covered it plenty. It's the idea that communion, the very word, is not about an individual thing. Like one of the great problems with Protestant Christianity is how much it's me and Jesus. But communion, community, it's us. And so one of the things that you can do when you receive communion is you can look around, whether you're in the barn with us or at home, and one of the ways that we look around as a church is not only inside our church, but also globally. And so we often pray for a global partner. So I'd like to read a quote from Walter Brueggemann, and then we'll pray, and then we'll move to our final thing. Walter Brueggemann says, Welcome each other as Jesus welcomed you for the glory of God. This is no high bar to reach. It's not about our performance or productivity or our achievement or being a winner. All are welcome who trust Him. The outsiders stream to Him, lepers and children and all kinds of discounted persons and smart Torah teachers and young rulers and the whole company of humanity. In the black tradition, the table is called the welcome table. It is so unlike tables in our society where you need a reservation or qualification or connection or leverage. Paul says, welcome one another. Stop the exclusionary practices and the merit badges. Stop sorting people who are qualified. For none are qualified. Father, would you just show us within the Discovery family, Lord, is there someone we've slandered? Is there someone that we're speaking about as if they're not in the room? Lord, even as our whole culture is learning how to notice discrimination in some of the most sophisticated ways, Lord, give us the bravery to let you examine our hearts. Where we are intentionally or unintentionally or blindly discriminating, where the body of Christ really is every tribe and tongue and nation. And Lord, out of all the places we could pray for, we pray for our dear friends Dan and Christy Rich in Paraguay. 
And Lord, some of the amazing leaders they had there, Lord, because Dan and Christy sold everything and moved down there almost 30 years ago. All these incredible Paraguayans who know you and love you, our sisters and brothers in Christ. We pray a blessing on their church, especially the church in Jutu, the church that many of us have gotten to visit ourselves. Jorge and Bettina and others who love you, have been rescued by you, Lord. We thank you for them. We thank you that your church is global, that we're just a tiny part of it. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. And for our final part, I'm going to invite the band to come out because we're going to need their help because what Paul says in this passage is every time you eat of the bread and you drink of the cup, it's actually a declaration. You may not have said anything, but the act of doing it is a declaration that Jesus is coming again. And so that's the final thing that we discern, the body of Christ coming again. It's another reason I love communion, because I'll, I'll confess to you, I can go a whole week and forget that Jesus is coming back. I just get, I'm not proud of it, but I just get wrapped up in my life. But that expectation, that anticipation that Jesus is coming, He's making all things new, Jesus is bringing the full force of heaven with Him, and that heaven is renewing earth. So when Jesus prayed that prayer, Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus' final coming is what ushers in the answer to that prayer where there'll be no more pain, no more trouble, no more sorrow, a renewed heaven and a renewed earth. So what we're going to invite you to do is just peel back the juice and drink to that, that Christ has come, Christ has risen, Christ is coming again. Paul writes, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the, when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of the sin is the law. thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear sisters and brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Those who are able in the room, let's stand as we prepare to sing. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord it's not in vain.